Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched The Rapture. In The Rapture, Sharon, played by Mimi Rogers, is a telephone operator who leads an extraordinarily dull life by day and a hedonistic one at night. Over time, she realizes that neither aspect is fulfilling, and she decides to devote her life to God and prepare for the rapture that her community believes is coming. Screenplay by Michael Tolkien, directed by Michael Tolkien, and premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 6, 1991. Have you seen The Rapture before? No, and I've never heard of this movie. I think the first time I heard of it was when we saw the trailer in front of some other movie. It was, I think, for Where the Sleeping Dogs Lie. Oh, okay. All I remember is that the trailer made it look like it was a much more intense thriller type of a movie. Yeah. And that's kind of why we slotted it into the October <laughs> batch of of films is like oh this might be like an intense religious film mm-hmm. and it's not that type of intense religious film at all it is very um boy i don't know stoic it's like yeah this woman going through like an existential crisis i don't know yeah multiple times and the movie really it's just loosely based off of actual Bible verses and characters. It's loosely based off of Abraham and Isaac. Do you know that story? I don't know. Like I'm not I'm not from a religious household. We didn't attend church. Um, I don't really know most of the stories of the Bible. So I know that you have more education in that realm. And so, I mean... Yeah, I was... When watching this movie, I was thinking, like... Oh, this would have been a movie maybe shown to me in school, but it wouldn't because the first half of the movie is all, like, nudity and stuff, so they probably would never. But it's if also... Was, if there was a censored version of that, do you think they would, though? Probably not, because we watched actual movies about the Bible... Like, the Ten Commandments and yeah. stuff like that. Because, like, one of the things I have listed as my main talking point, or, like, one of the talking points is, is this movie pro or anti-religion? And my thinking as an outsider to the whole thing, really, is that it's pro. In a weird way. Like, it's it's dark. It is a... It is a um, it's not a happy movie at any no, point but I, the way like, it in a ends weird way, is very somber too yeah but in the way even in the way it ends i think it's still like pro-religion 
in that it shows that God is like fully real and he is going if to do everything he him, said. If you believe in him, then you will go to into even yeah, at the very very end when people are asked, "Do you believe in God?" and they're like, "Okay, go into heaven." Right. And then it's not until like maybe Roger's character where she's starting to question again like what the meaning of God is or is he real or what. She says... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I don't know. It's just giving away the ending. It's just... She doesn't respond. It's like, well, do you... She doesn't say yes or no, but she's, like, now stuck in purgatory. She she says no by not saying yes. Yeah. So, like, the, the whole the whole thing is, you know, she has to make the decision right then and there because this is the rapture, and if she is willing to accept God and his love and all of his faults, then she will be allowed into heaven. But... She's not questioning whether or not God exists at this point. She's questioning why God is forcing these things on to her. That's yeah. that's she's you know, well. She's now questioning him again, like what she was doing in the beginning. In the beginning, it was more like I don't think God exists. This is stupid, because that's how Randy was too, um, and we never got to see Randy's transformation no. onto the other side. It just we just see that he's like now also on, religious. Yeah. But, and then in the second half, like, she's fully committed for a while until, uh, she's like, asked... the, the last third-ish, fourth-ish, where she's, like, why would God put me in these situations, and, like, what, what's the point of, like, putting God before my own family, and, and things like that. And, so... and she's just not willing to do that. Okay, so the story, I'm just going to do like a close notes. Yeah, because yeah, we're, we're kind of like jumping to the, the thesis without actually like explaining. So the story of Abraham and Isaac is that, so Abraham, this is in the Old Testament, like the book of Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible. Okay, yeah. Um, Abraham wants to have children and... You know, he's speaking or praying to God. It's like, you will have kids. But it's not until, like, 25 years later he has his first son, and that is Isaac. And then God comes down to Abraham again when Isaac is, like, 10 years old or something. I mean, this is very loosely, I'm giving Bible (laughs) stories, so don't, like... I don't know, come at me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just giving this like very loose. Memory, right? yeah. yeah, this is from my memory, from what I remember learning from 12 years of going to Catholic school. So Abraham to, so God gave Abraham a test where if you really love me, then you have to sacrifice your oldest son, Isaac, because he has more kids after that. Abraham's like, you know, I really love and believe in God, so I have to take him to, like, this high fucking peak and sacrifice my son. So as he is about to do that, God stops him from killing his own son, and God is like, okay, I believe you. You believe in me. Mm -hmm. So you do not have to kill your son in order to, you know, love me. So that's kind of what happens... In this movie, where she takes her daughter, where she is, like, now to the point where she kills her daughter, it's not like... She wasn't stopped. She was not, no. 
So then after that, she's now questioning God. Like, why did you have to make me kill my only daughter? Yeah, why do you come before her? Yeah. And then... I mean, we're skipping straight to the end, but it's just... That's where the difference is between, you know, the... The Bible verse or the Bible story in this movie. Yeah, it's it's really... It's a really interesting movie that I wish I liked more. And I don't think I didn't like it because of the religious sentiment at all. Like, I, I, that has nothing to do with my enjoyment of it. I think, honestly, like, my, my major problem with this movie is with the dialogue and the delivery of the dialogue. I don't know about you, but it I found, like, almost all of the lines to be, like, something out of, a, like, a modern medicine commercial. Um, it, it kind of seemed as if Sharon was bored. Yeah, she was, and I think that was <laughs> intentional. In the beginning, she's bored. I, I, I went back and forth, like, is this a good performance from Mimi Rogers? And, like, I think ultimately the answer is yes, because she's trying to be, like, this despondent, rejected person who doesn't really care about what she's doing most of the time. But there are also times, like, when we're at Randy's, like, wake or funeral or whatever it is that, like, she's just doesn't seem to care. Um, but we see later on, like, as she starts to question her faith in God, like, yeah, there is more nuance into this whole thing. But, like, even from the very beginning when, you know, they're in the, the bar trying to pick up Randy and Diana. So, okay. Sharon is with this guy named Vic. They're, like, friends with benefits, whatever. Uh, yeah. And then they go around and they, they find other couples to hook up with as well. And so they go to this, this bar where they see Randy and Diana. And the conversation, like, instantly goes into this strange direction. And, like, this, 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 stilted, this stilted dialogue that doesn't have any natural flow is what just puts me off. Because it's, you know, they, like, almost immediately is like, oh, well, we're looking for fun. Well, what if the fun goes out of control? Blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe she likes it when it goes out of control. And then the other person's like, talk, talk, talk. Let's go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not how humans behave. This is not... Like how swingers hook up with other swingers or something? Well, just, just how people interact with each other. It sounds like a rough draft of, like, here's the backbone of how I'm going to do this. And then let's fill it in with, like, actual cadence. And let's fill it with actual, like, meaningful stuff. But, like, all of this stuff with religion, too, when she's talking to the evangelists... It's extremely generic, and just every conversation that she has when she finds God is like, have you seen him? Do you know him? It's like, boy, my life has been so much better ever since I took Zimbriosis. So it's, it's like, oh, well, what's Zimbriosis? It's, well, it's this wonderful medicine that I'd love to introduce you to. Like, that's the medicine commercial, and that's how they present religion. It's kind of like those pamphlets that you would get from religious people in... I don't know, anywhere that you would be walking around sometimes. Mostly in the 90s, I would get these pamphlets. Yeah, but the, like that's paper, where it's like basically like presenting a one-sided one Q&A. Yeah. This is a this conversation is like that's supposedly being hap happening between two people. It's like someone reading those pamphlets pamphlets yeah. to us. Yeah, it's like someone reading talking notes off of, these, so it's off, mostly off of a piece of paper. So it's mostly the 
the script is what you this, yes yes the script is my biggest problem with this movie and also like because there's really no flow i mean even when she she kills her daughter and then she gets pulled over by the cop for going yeah, 100 miles an hour she confesses and then the cop is not even really responding that she committed a murder yeah and and here's like and she's like crying her eyes out about like here's the situation and she's like why do I have to go through life even like it sucks that you have to go through life even though you know what it's for that's a good line Mm -hmm. but then his response is well what's it for and her response is ask God it's like every it's like it's like it's like Tolkien is afraid to actually have meaningful dialogue within this whole thing it's so stilted it's so incredibly generic you'd be like Boy, I sure do love God. I accept God. Do you accept God? And like none of the, none of the whys are ever answered. None of the hows are ever discussed. Mm-hmm. It's just pure love for God without any explanation as to why I should, why anyone else should. And like that bugs me. It's like it's like because the rest of it is definitely not afraid to go into the real issues of the whole situation. So why won't the dialogue do it too? No. That, that threw me off in the movie. Like, it really took me out of it. A lot. I think the last third of the movie is what really kind of threw me off. Like, when she went to jail and then the actual rapture was happening. Hmm. And what about that? Was it, like, the, the special effects of, like, the bars falling apart? Yeah. I w- so, okay, it's happening... But no one else is really reacting to it. Like, oh, like the world is shaking or whatever. And no one, she's in jail and then she's in the same cell as the other woman who she's also a believer to. But you see on the other end, like all the people who work in the police station, they're not like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? It's just like all of a sudden everyone's like, yeah, it's the end of the world. So it's time for us to make a yes or no answer. It wasn't it, yeah. like people were freaking out. No, I agree. And I think um, I think what might have helped that a bit more, again, is if the dialogue would have said something along the lines of, well, when the rapture comes, everyone will just know what to do. But even people like who are non-believers are like, oh, yeah, the rapture's here. So, like... Like, God is possibly forcing them. But you know what I mean? What like if, they, there uh, might I'm be, like, some under- aspect of mind To my understanding, it's like, I feel like the people who are believers would be like, yeah, this is supposed to happen. But people who are non-believers, wouldn't you be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, because you don't believe in, you don't believe in their God, basically. Because yeah. she even, she, even in the beginning, she's, like, talking about other religions, like Buddhism and... Islam or whatever she's like why is yeah they, they get along just they fine. get along just yeah. fine why are you why are we talking about the rapture and and the answer was simply well you don't believe so it's like well they don't believe in Jesus and so they're just not gonna they're go not gonna yeah they're the not judgment. gonna go to heaven yeah like so and it's just very matter of fact without you know getting into anything more specific than that and, and like even when the everything happens right and she's like sitting in the cell alone after the bars have come off here comes uh foster the 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 sheriff who has a role in like the last yeah he's a non-believer he's a non-believer and he he comes up to her and's like hey we gotta get out of here what's next 
And like everyone's just so stoic about everything. That's what I'm. I was. Wouldn't he be like, what? What are we supposed to do? Like freak out or something? He's just like, okay, now what? Let me ask the person that knows. And then it's so nonchalant where once he is asked, oh, do you believe? And then he just goes, yeah, I believe. And then he just goes, like, okay, you go to heaven. Like, there's yeah. no but, I mean, like, when judgment or anything. I don't which, know. Which is weird. And that's sort of, like, antithetical to what I would imagine would happen with the rapture. Is like, you don't get to decide after the rapture's already happened. Yeah. Right? Because, like, like if you see all these things like happening around me, it's like, not, yes, I would definitely believe at that point. Right. It, it's not fair to the actual believers yeah. who were preparing for this. Yeah. Uh, that's why I was like, what the... But maybe, like, that, that maybe that's where the merciful God comes in. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. Part of what Sharon's point is, like, you're not merciful at all because you allowed me and had me kill my daughter in order to, like... That whole thing is weird. Like, we're kind of really focusing a lot on the end without talking a whole lot about the, the beginning part of it all. And... <sighs> there aren't a lot of plot points to go over in this movie. Really. No, I mean, it's just her and her partner i'm just gonna say vic because they're not i don't think they're exclusive because they're definitely not because they're like they they just have fun with each other because and then they just get together it seems like almost every single night to hook up with other couples and vic is obsessed with hooking up with people who are out of town all the time probably so there's no like possible attachment yeah so i mean you show them in the beginning, they hook up with Randy, and, you know, that's David Duchovny. But then Sharon has sort of a relationship with him, because she'll go and spend the night with Randy at least a few times after she's with Vic. Yeah. So it's like... But they don't really show them getting to... Like, how they got together. Like, how they became paired up They just show quickly. them conversing a little bit here and there but then all of a sudden she's spending the night at his house at least a few times i think it's she's or he's at her place but yeah he's always coming over she finds religion yeah but But, yeah and yeah vic doesn't like he doesn't care one way or another yeah yeah like the only reason he might care is like well if you found somebody that you love and i get kicked to the curb and that's that's the he's like who's gonna be my new fuck buddy i guess basically but um which i mean that does happen when she finds god because she's like i found someone and he thinks that she found love right with another man and he's and she's like yeah i I mean that whole situation where she's like yeah i can teach you about him or show you and then that's when she's like have you heard of jesus and it's all just such cheesy generic bullshit that's what i hated about it's like like i think you really should meet him and it's like, just say the fucking word. Like, just yeah, say, just say, just say I, I found Jesus. Yeah, don't do this roundabout crap. Like, we all know what you mean, except for him. And it's not really interesting that he doesn't know until, you know, five minutes later. Just let it them doesn't... get into the conversation. Like, I'd rather have her expa- explain, like, yeah, I found religion. And then, like, have them have a conversation about what it means and, like, how he's anti or, like, you know, him trying to convince her that she shouldn't because of her past lifestyle, etc., like, I'd rather have that conversation rather than this roundabout. I found this guy. Oh, is he... He's like, oh, him? like, is he rich? Like, he's like, oh... Yeah. Oh, what? he's the richest man alive. Yeah. Like, like stop. 
And then, I mean, in between that, she's at this call center on break. She hears some coworkers talking about a boy and then the pearl. And the pearl. And she's listening, but they're very quiet about it. She, and then she's kind of, she starts to obsess over it. And then the next day she kind of lies and she's like, oh yeah, I saw the pearl. And they're like, what? they're like, okay, describe it type of Mm -hmm. thing. And she's like, oh, it was in a field. And they're like, you didn't see it. Mm -hmm. So she's like now obsessing. Yeah, she's jealous. Yeah. Until. Well, that that comes about a little bit because she. Yeah, until they, her and Vic hook up with another couple. That's what caused her to lie about the pearls because she saw the tattoo of the pearl. Of the woman that um, has this back tattoo that it looks sprayed i mean yeah i, mean, I know it's, it's obviously real, fake because yeah. but it just looks like um like a graffiti artist spray painted someone's back yeah it looks like a spray painted shirt except it's on her back yeah it yeah just it looked like a very bad tattoo to, yes. but it's like from neck like the back back from her neck all the way down to like her butt crack and it's like this hand holding a pearl in a field or something and while they're in the middle, this is Vic and Sharon hooking up with this couple while they're like in the middle of like swapping partners or whatever. And Sharon is just like bored, <laughs> even though like the guy behind her is like thrusting. She's looking at the back of the woman, Angie, uh, Angie yeah. who's like going to get on top of Vic. And then she's just like, what's that tattoo? And Angie's like, oh, whatever. Like, I got it when I was young. Whatever. And then Sharon is so obsessed with it. She's like, well, tell me about it. Well, to the point where, like, everyone just stops having sex. And that Sharon and Angie are now having this conversation about the meaning of that tattoo. Yeah. And and Angie doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I didn't come here to talk about my tattoo and my life with you. But I think that scene is, is helpful for a couple of reasons because it, it one, it shows the pearl and has a little bit of, you know, gives us some background around that, which I don't know how much actual meaning there is to the pearl in, in religion. I, I don't remember hearing kind about of that like symbolism or not. But alludes to the pearly gates of heaven. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Uh, and then um, I think it also shows that Sharon doesn't find any satisfaction in the sleeping around either. Like, we see, like, clearly at her job at the call center that she is just bored out of her mind and just hates doing what she does. It's, it, you know, she's basically working at information. She gets a call. She's supposed to route, you know, find the number that they're trying to find and then, you know, give them that and then move on to the next call. And the opening shot of this movie is extraordinary. And it sets a, a good tone for what I wanted to see throughout the rest that didn't mm-hmm. really happen but you have like this very rhythmic clacking you have a really good soundtrack underneath it it's very like it's honestly kind of like creepy in a way yeah the way it's set up and then you have like this swooping shot around all these cubicles where everyone's like the same and then you eventually get into Sharon who's replaced by her co-worker um it's a really effective opening scene and so like you you know that she hates her job you know that she hates that part and that she's sort of separated from co-workers because they all have religion and she's just alone at the lunch table by herself 
and she wants to be part of that group and is kind of jealous about that. And now you see that, like, the sexual part that we thought that she liked from the opening scenes is now also kind of meaningless because she'd rather talk about this. So, it's not long after that. Yet, you know, so after she sees the tattoo, she goes to the co-workers, claims that she saw the pearl. They call her out on her bullshit. Um, and then, like... It wasn't until the next day she picks up, like, a... I want to say... A trick, I guess. This guy, uh, it was James LaGrosse. That was, that was after she found religion. I thought she found religion during that talk with him. Because when she uh, goes... Maybe, maybe, maybe. But, bec- like, before Before she, that, a little bit. Because she's, she kicks she Randy spends, out. Yeah, she spends the night with Randy. And then all of a sudden, she wakes up and she's like... This house is unclean. She, like, yeah, strips the, the bed and, like, wants to wash the sheets. And she's like, I'm unclean. She takes, like, a hot shower and she's brushing her teeth aggressively, saying, I'm unclean. And that was it. It's like she's starting to begin. And yeah, then the and next day, she picks up that guy, Tommy, who's James LaGrosse. Uh-huh. And I'm assuming... Because they go to a, a motel... And it's, it seems as if, you know, they're going to hook up, but she starts to have, like, she starts to talk to him and have, like, an existential crisis, like, during that meeting with him. She, A little bit. I mean, she doesn't really talk to him about anything meaningful. Not like, really. Like, like, he's talking and saying all this shit. And then he's he's like, what's your name? She goes, Sharon. And he's like, who you Sharon with? Yeah. And she's like, what? She's kind of like, it's who like, the fuck are you, dude? Yeah, that's like one of the most clever lines in the movie. <laughs> which is yeah. Sad. Um, so yeah, like, he's really talkative in the car, and he's exposing yes. himself for all kinds of different things. And he's saying, like, well, I guess they don't pick me up because of what I look like, and they can tell I'm an ex-convict from Virginia, and they can tell I'm carrying a gun. And so he's, like, giving away all this information about himself to, like, say he's super dangerous. And then they cut to him in the motel, we don't explain she like she doesn't say a word throughout the entire car ride pretty except for saying her name yeah <laughs> and, and so like we don't understand what pretense he is there under if, if I she, thought they like, were assumed... gonna hook up well I think that's probably what she told him I don't think she ever had any actual intention of doing that because yeah. she had found religion at that point oh, so she wanted to test herself I don't know but I don't think okay um, when she was with Randy I mean, I think you have a good point where, like, she doesn't find, she doesn't actually find religion until after the encounter with Tommy, but she thinks that she did when she kicks Randy out and says, like, this place is unclean, get the fuck out of here, and then the next scene is with Tommy, because I think she's just completely lost, and so she is cleaning up in the bathroom, Tommy's just talking non-stop like he has been on the bed not looking and she grabs his backpack takes the gun and then basically tells him to get the fuck out but then she also sees the bible and then yeah so like light appears basically tommy tommy gets out and like her intention there is to kill herself yeah yeah yeah. um and she changes her mind she pulls the gun on him too she pulls the gun gets him out of there yeah and then when he's gone she, she intends to kill herself, but she can't bring herself to do it. 
and she puts the gun in the drawer and sees the Bible, and then she sees the pearl. It was kind of like, yeah, a sign, like, God was like, don't kill yourself. Yeah. And then that's her finding religion. Yeah, so I think that's the actual moment. Like, she's open to it when she decides to kick Randy out, and now she actually does it when she decides to, to spare her own life. Yeah. And then it, like, cuts to... Well, then she goes to Randy, and then now she's talking about how she found god and then randy doesn't believe in god or any religion he's like what the fuck is the point of god and religion and whatever right and that's when she's like i choose you to be my mate basically well would Kinda. you would you still would come you back come to me if you can accept my religion yeah like i want it, it's like she chose him for some reason <laughs> and and then she tells Vic, because Vic comes over to her place, and that's when she's like, I found someone, and they had that whole conversation where, whatever, I found, she found Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then it, like, cuts to, like, six years later. Well, before that, I actually do want to talk about this scene, too, where she talks, she goes back to work, okay. and she's like, she's bringing God to work now. Like, as, oh, soon, yeah. as, as soon as she finds the pearl, she's... At the call center, and she doesn't say what number, like, what city, what destination. She's like, hey, how are you doing? Have you found God? And she's, like, trying to convert everyone on the phone to religion. And so her boss has to confront her. But her boss is also a believer, and he's like, let me... is Is his son the prophet or the child? I don't know if it's actually his son. I think it's just the boy. Okay, the boy. So then that's when she goes... To meet like all of her coworkers and her boss, they go meet this prophet, the boy, and this boy is like, this is where I'm like, okay, this would not happen. He's like a five or six year old kid who people think he's. They think he's like the next Jesus or something. Or they're just the word of God flows through through his mouth. Yeah, and whatever he says, they're believing. Mm -hmm. But he like whispers it to her boss and then her boss like reiterates what he says yeah and everyone's like hanging on this little kid's word and this is where i'm kind of like rolling my eyes because they make it look like this is like a fucking cult yeah yeah i mean that's that's where like the anti-religion part could definitely come into play but i mean but like what what the little boy is saying there is you know Basically, Sharon asks, well, when is the rapture going to come? Because everyone in the office... He says five, six years. Yeah, everyone in the office assumed it was going to be soon. And and he says, probably about five or six years, there's wars coming, there's a curse on the earth, and and so on and so forth. And so, like, she then asks Randy to come back to her and, you know, will you accept me if I have religion, even if you're not religious? And then you smash cut to six years later. And they're together. And And they're together. And the boy is older now, speaking in a a larger group of people. Um, And you pan over Sharon to see a little kid. And there's Randy. And evidently they Randy cut his hit. Randy, in the beginning, had had a mullet. mullet, And then now he's, like, all clean cut. Because he's an artist, I guess, is maybe the intention there to have the longer hair. Yeah, but Um, now he just works at an office... Yeah, now he's a boss of some kind. We don't really know. I didn't because... understand like what he was a boss of because that whole <laughs> that scene too made me laugh. It did. I don't know if it was supposed to be as funny as it was. But um. But yeah, he's he's now a boss he's of some kind. Now... He's firing this guy named Lewis. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So we don't see how Randy became religious. 
like how he started to believe but they have this five or six year old daughter now mary but we can go to that scene where randy is in the office trying to fire someone lewis and that whole interaction was making me laugh even though it was because just the way that the things that they were saying to each other i was like this is bonkers crazy making me laugh I mean, Randy's pretty matter-of-fact about the whole thing. He's like, well, look, you're not doing your job. And then, like, Louise is like, well, you're not doing your job, banana yeah, head. Yeah, the the stuff that was coming out of his mouth was making me laugh. I was like, <laughs> okay. But then it makes, like, the next day or whatever, after he is fired, he com- he's a disgruntled former employee, and he comes in, he starts, like, shooting up the place, which is, like, stuff that happens now. Yeah, I mean, it did a little bit back then, too. I mean, that's where the whole phrase of, like, going postal came but from. But it was, it's, like, postal workers? There was a lot yeah. of postal worker incidents back then. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it's, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, there's, like, this dichotomy of you see the, the family praying, and then you see Lewis coming back into the office with the shotgun, and you see him get Randy in the stomach and, and kill Randy. And then the next scene is his funeral and that's when Sharon is talking to a friend yeah her Diana? neighbor Paula oh Paula and I mean it like, really Paula doesn't seem does like not, she gives a shit yeah Paula does not she's not a believer no but she she's seems to have neighbor. more emotion than Sharon does about the death right. and maybe part of that is meant to be again that Sharon is like at peace because she she's knows in heaven. Yeah, that Randy is in heaven yeah so she's like I'm gonna see him like when the rapture haps- happens and I'm she gonna knows see that him. the rapture is happening soon yeah, she's, so she's like, like yeah I'm gonna see him soon so I mean this is like no big deal to me mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. and she's telling that to their daughter mary because mary's like you know i miss daddy but sharon's like well we're gonna see him soon mm-hmm. so because that's what the older boy is also saying like the rapture yeah. is happening this year yeah but i mean like a lot of the conversations between paula and sharon again are very like medicine commercial it's like Oh, haven't you found Yeah, she's Jesus trying to... Co- like, But at least Paul is just like, yeah, I'm not gonna join your religion, but, I mean, I still like you as a person, and I'm your friend, and I believe you, but I'm not gonna join. Yeah. And it just comes to the point where Sharon is like... She's this is when she... Desert. Yeah, she takes her... Do- I forgot, like, the reasoning. I think... Okay. Is it because when the, the boy... No. Uh, oh, okay. So what happens is, like, Sharon is... I forget why she is where she is, but she sees, like, these photos being processed. Okay. Oh, And she yeah. sees okay. Randy in the photos. Yeah. Like, ghost Randy is there at this specific location with her with his hand outstretched, basically, like, beckoning her to come. Okay, to right. this desert yeah, lo- to, land. Yeah, to this <laughs> desert location. And so, like, Sharon consults with the boy and says i got this sign from my husband that this is where it should be and that it's happening soon and the boy's like i don't see it it's not to say that you're wrong but i do not see it so like again the boy is right yeah um but sharon believes that her sign is the correct one and so she takes her daughter leaves her house and all of her possessions and goes to wait at this rock until the rapture comes yes and it's weeks 
But weeks. her friend she is like... She thinks it's only going to be like a day or two. ends up being a couple weeks. Yeah, but her weeks. friend is like... Because Sharon's just going to go with like the fucking shirt on her back and nothing yeah, else. because it's only going to be like a day. Yeah, but... And her friend is like, well, if you're going to go, here's all these supplies. Like, yeah. that's why I like I liked Paula. <laughs> she's like thinking. I don't know. She's yeah, like, she's here's tent, rational. here's blankets, here's some food. Here you go. And then they just sit at this rock for, I mean, weeks. And then they're waiting. They come. That's when the uh, sheriff comes by. That's and then Foster. There's yeah. Foster. Yeah. And then there's people who are, you know, like uh, rock climbers. Yeah. <laughs> the rock climber runs by them. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, oh, we're waiting, we're waiting for, for the for raptures. God. Yeah. <laughs> and they're Sounds like, oh, good. yeah. They're All like, right. okay, have a good day. Like, All they're right. just. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess wherever they're staying, they have, like, a two-week, um, stay. Like, you can't camp there longer than two weeks because Foster is, like, you gotta pack your stuff up and go. But then Sharon tells this whole story about the rapture and I'm gonna see God soon. And what if I leave and he appears and blah, 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 blah. So she's, like, well, if I go over there or there... Can I stay over there for two weeks? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to stop you. So then, right. yeah, she does that. But then it gets to the point where Mary is, like, hungry because they're, like, going through garbage cans and stuff trying to find food for yeah, a Yeah, not while. only that, but, I mean, like, Mary is, like, the one that introduces the idea of, like, hey, this is taking longer than we expected. Can't we just... Like, go home. Can't we... No, can't we just, like die and see daddy that way oh yeah you know like she's the one to introduce the whole concept of, okay, like, of dying yeah it's like can't we like daddy's dead if the only way to do it is to die and, we're, die and we are religious and dying gets us to heaven like a different daddy so let's just die so we can go see daddy so starve or she wants to be killed by her mom like Okay. When, they're, when they're in that scene with like all the, the trees and everything around yeah, her all the I dead get trees, that. like Mary's like basically like do it mom like I want to go see dad let's do this yeah until she like wakes Mary wakes up from her own kind of like fever dream because she's like screaming for her mom and her dad but then she's screaming I'm hungry that's yeah. when they go to that fast food place and they order food and she doesn't have any money so they take the food and like drive off real yeah. quick. Yeah, so, but, so, so now she's stolen and Mary said that she had a dream where her mom was in heaven but only halfway. Yeah. And we think that maybe it's because of, of what the sins that she's going to be committing yeah. by killing her. I mean, steal, I mean, to her, I or mean, also the stealing wouldn't or stealing be, and then also shooting, like committing murder, that's a sin. Randy did it. Remember? Yeah. As long as you admit your sins and you atone for them, your, okay. you're good, right? But then she one can't, of the early but conversations she can't, they yeah, have is yeah. that Randy said he killed a man for a thousand dollars, and if right. we weren't taught that killing was bad, would we still feel this bad? Which, again, is a very poorly... <laughs> poorly constructed yeah, I mean, conversation. you can atone for your sins if you go to confession. Yeah. And it doesn't get into the meat but of like that whole ethics versus morality The Ten morality Commandments, thing. it's like, thou shall not kill. <laughs> yeah. But, um, she, I mean, so it goes to the point where they, she shoots Mary, I mean, she's like, 
Sharon has had it. <laughs> well, Mary's also had it. Yeah, they both have had it. And then, but Sharon's just like, okay, she she gets the gun and... Um, that Paula gave her yeah, as like a self-defense Yeah, thing. that's a self-defense thing, not to like use on themselves. Yeah. But she's, she kind of, she looks away and shoots Mary. I mean, we don't see it. Yeah, you don't and see anything. She's going to sh- kill herself, but I mean, it is a sin to kill yourself. Right, which so, she talks about later. Yeah, so she can't do that. So now she's at a crossroads because she just killed her daughter. And now this is when she's like speeding on the road and that's when Foster pulls her over and then she confesses all these things to him. Yeah, and, and like she gets to like some of the points, right? Like she talks about yeah. like, I wanted to kill myself but I couldn't because if you kill yourself it's then there's sin. no way you can possibly get into heaven. Yeah. And, and so like, again, like why do I have to go through this life even though you know what it's for type of a thing? And like, what if I would have crashed my car going 100 miles an hour do you think that would have counted as killing myself and foster's like i don't know yeah he's not religious he's just and he's not even like trying to answer the question he's not like he's just he's just like matter of fact the whole time and i don't think he's meant to be i think it's just the way that almost everybody delivers their dialogue in this is just so matter of fact that there's so little emotion in any of their faces that it bugs me um but he's like "I, i don't know the answer to that and like let the movie have that conversation. Like, let him, like, suppose. You know? Let him debate. Let yeah. anyone debate. No yeah. one debates. Well, Randy was the only one that debated. Yeah, but, and then, like, her counterpoints were like, but it's God. You know? Like, there was okay. no counter-debate. Okay. So, Randy, like, tried to pose questions, but they're immediately shut down. Like, yeah, but you gotta love him unconditionally. Well, that's kind of like how it is now when you talk to... It can, yeah. Some religious It, it, it certainly can be. Them. But if, if you're going to present the movie in this way, I don't know. They're just like, well, it's God, and God is the answer, and that's that. Yes, and it's, it's too simplistic for me. Um, anyway, so, yeah, she gets to prison, and the person that we see that is also a believer is Angie, the tattoo girl, is in the cell with her, and she has now found God again. We're assuming yeah. again because she got the tattoo because she found God at one point and then lost him. Uh, and then, yeah, trumpets, horsemen on TV, the jail cells fall apart, Foster takes her away on the motorcycle, they're chased by the angels of death, uh, the four horsemen, mm-hmm. and then at some point uh, they are greeted by Mary. death. Well, yeah, uh, Mary takes, and the And then she's angels. now with... And now she's with um, Mary, Mary the daughter, not like Mary the mother of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we never see any actual religious figures except for the four horsemen. And and then she's basically at the river Styx, I think, right? Styx? Would that be right? You could say. I mean, this is it's, when... It's very minimalist. Well, because it's all, like a dark hallway. <laughs> yeah, it's like and a it... soundstage with some lighting, um, <laughs> which I don't mind. I really don't. Fine. I mean, that's their version of what Cause it's, going it's, to heaven would be like. Because it's dark and it's empty. And, like, that's that's fine for, like, a purgatory setting. It doesn't need to be, like, flashy set dressing. So, I mean, it just gets to where we were at. Where... Mary's so Mary like, is pleading. Yeah, yeah, Mary is pleading with Sharon. Please accept God back into your heart so you can join me and Dad in heaven. Yeah. But 
Sharon refuses. Like, she doesn't say no. She just doesn't say yes. She doesn't say yes. And then that's kind of the end of the movie because it's just silence. You see Mary fade away into blackness and Sharon is left there alone. And then Silence. Yeah. Yeah. Indicating that she's she's stuck there forever. She's stuck there forever, yeah, in purgatory. She made her choice to deny God. Yeah. So... It's like a very somber and grim ending. Yeah. So, I mean, the movie does a lot of stuff right. I really, I think there are like things that are presented really well in terms of themes. But I wish the actual content matched. Because again, I I do kind of think it's a pro-religion movie from my standpoint. I don't know if you agree or not. Sometimes I feel like it's anti, like the way it's just like I feel like it's making fun of people who are religious I don't know like it I mean to a degree just because of the dialogue choices if the dialogue was stronger I wouldn't I wouldn't think it would be the case I, I was kind of with you for a while but I mean she's trying to get in with those co-workers who are super religious she's never actively making fun of them not really and like no one no one discounts the humanity of the people Right. You know, like Paula and everyone else and Randy even, like, they're not, like, saying, oh, you're a shitty person because you believe in God. So I think... I mean, they aren't... The good thing is, like, they're not condemning people who don't believe, like, with her yeah. neighbor or even Randy. Yeah, that, that's a, that's one weird thing that, like... They're not like, if, oh, you don't believe him? Well, fuck you. It's... Yeah, they so don't really the talk about thing. the damnation of if you don't do it my way, then you're screwed. Yeah, they, they don't... don't that's that the much. good part Which, of again, this. I think makes it kind of pro-religion. Okay. And, and also, I, again, like... I feel like it's making fun of people who are religious. I don't but know I don't know. I don't, I, let us know what you guys think, too. Because, I mean, I, honestly, I think overall... I think religion can end, be dark. Religion yeah. can be nasty, and like it's that's because life is too. And I mean, so, reading the Bible stories, it's grim sometimes, right? Like what the story you told me, you know? Like, yeah, that, a lot of the like, stories are like Old that. Testament are meant to be like grim yeah. morals of like, grim tales of of morality. Yeah, that's and, like a will you or won't you situation. That's ninety nine percent of all the classes I took. Yeah, and so like this kind of fits Catholic that. school was like morality. And again it shows that hey, in this movie God is real and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. So I don't know. Uh it's an interesting one. I can definitely see it being polarizing just in general, but again, my problems weren't with the religious aspect, it was just with the actual script part. That's the biggest downside. And a lot of the acting was bad, honestly. I think Mimi Rogers was good. I think at times it felt like it was bad, but looking at the whole context yeah, of things, I, like I think her it was in it. good. And I, I even like David Duchovny in it. David Duchovny is always very monotone. He's always the same monotone type of a person. But the, I think that's just him and i i really like the boss henry too i know he had a very limited scene but like when he was talking to sharon about like here you know like this is why you shouldn't do this at work but i'm a believer too and so on and so forth like i really like that limited performance that he gave so let's get into the awards and casting crew really quickly here um award wise we got the young artist award uh nomination for kimberly cullum who played mary uh this was released i guess 
wide in 1992, so it was up against Three Men and a Little Lady and lost to that. Um, Spirit nominations for Best Screenplay, but lost to My Own Private Idaho. Female Lead from Amy Rogers, lost to Judy Davis for Impromptu. And also Best First Feature nomination, lost to Straight Out of Brooklyn. Casting crew, Michael Tolkien, director and writer. This is his directorial debut. He also directed The New Age, one episode of The Masters of Sci-Fi. Uh, Ray Donovan, Behind the Fix. He's also a writer uh, who was Oscar nominated for The Player. Emmy nominated for Escape at Danamora, The Burning Story. Also Stinker's nominations for Deep Impact and The Haunting. He's also written episodes of Ray Donovan. Uh, the Offer, which was that Paramount Plus thing about the, the, the Godfather making of uh and he also did changing lanes and gleaming the cube mimi rogers played sharon dame time emmy nomination for producing the devil's arithmetic chainsaw nomination for ginger snaps she's in 1991's wedlock and the doors and fourth story um she's in other things like hear no evil uh, the tv show paper dolls gung-ho monkey trouble austin powers one uh, Lost in Space from 1997, I think it was. A few episodes of The X-Files with David Duchovny. Uh, prominent role in the Gina Davis show back when she had that TV show. And also, more recently, Bosch. And I think it might be also kind of interesting to note that she was most likely a member of Scientology yeah. at the well, time that this was made. I mean, she's the reason that Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. Oh. <laughs> but I know that she left the church at some point, but I don't think it was well, by think- this time. No, she was still in Scientology, which I think it's interesting that she's doing, like, this type of religious movie. Yeah, so from that standpoint, I can see why you might think it might be, like, making fun of religion because of someone who actively definitely does not believe being involved. I don't know what Michael Tolkien's um, relationship is. Oh, well, that's interesting, too. Yeah. I still don't think, yeah, I still don't think it's anti-religion. Um... Vic was played by Patrick Beauchot. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he's a multilingual actor. He's been in 1991's, I'm going to butcher these names, uh, Il Nodo a la Cravata and Como Lavantar, uh, 1,000 kilos. I forget the Spanish word for 1,000. Is it mil? Un mil kilos? Um, also in Terra oh, Nova, Spanish, Blood yeah. Ties, The Most Natural Thing. All of those are 1991 movies. Most of them are not on our list. Uh, he's been on the Mount Royal TV show. He was in Emmanuel Four, A View to Kill, A View to a Kill, the Bond movie, uh, Clear and Present Danger, The Pretender, and Carnival. We talked about David Duchovny back in uh, when we early episode when we saw Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. We talked about Angie, who was played by Carol Davis when we saw If Looks Could Kill, because she was the Scorpion Lady in that. We talked about James LaGrosse when we talked about Point Break. He's also in Leather Jackets and Blood and Concrete. Henry was played by Dick Anthony Williams. He's Tony-nominated for What the Wine Sellers Buy and also Black Picture Show. He's been in movies like Slaughter's Big Ripoff, The Jerk, Mo Better Blues, uh, The Heart of the City TV Show, and in 1991, he was on the TV shows WIOU and Homefront. Uh, The first little boy that we saw uh, was played Mm -hmm. by Devon Nixon. We saw him before as Miles Dyson's son in Terminator 2. He was also in 1991 in episodes of Civil Wars. He's been in things like Bodyguard, Secret Life of the American Teenager, Runaways, and more recently he played his father, NBA player Norm Nixon, on the HBO show Winning Time, Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Kimberly Cullum was uh, Mary, who did a really, really fantastic job as well. When we were talking about actors, I generally, for some reason, think about that. I mean, that's some dark material for a little girl to 
yeah. talking about, and she doesn't like, really... talking about, let's die, Mom. Yeah, please kill me. Um, that's, yeah. that's really rough, and she does a fantastic job with it. Uh, she's in 1991's The Sitter. She's been in episodes of Quantum Leap, French... Fre- not French. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Empty Nest, Star Trek The Next Generation, Grace Under Fire, and also she was in Monkey Trouble with Mimi Rogers. And then Foster was played by Will Patton, who is Spirit-nominated for Sweet Thing, Chainsaw-nominated for Mothman Prophecies, Saturn Award-nominated for The Postman. In 1991, he's also in Dillinger, Deadly Desire, Cold Heaven. He's also been in No Way Out, Silkwood, Search for Tomorrow, the TV show, which lasted for 203 episodes. I don't even know what Search for Tomorrow is. Uh, Armageddon, The Agency, Falling Skies, Minari, Yellowstone, and he's also in all of the Halloween reboots. So, you know. There we go. Uh, we can move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, this movie was released at the Toronto International Film Festival, which was the same on September 6, 1991, which was a Friday, but it was the same release date as Company Business, which was not at Toronto. Was not at the <laughs> film festival. We've had like five or six Toronto International Film yeah, Festival. Yeah, we've had reviews. My Own Private Idaho. Solo con tu pareja, Motorama, and Raise the Red Lantern. I forgot that Motorama was there. That was part of their midnight screening. Mm. Screening, And, okay, so I didn't... A lot of the stuff that I talked about in company business, like pop culture-wise, that happened on that day is in the company business episode. Yeah, like the serial killer. Yeah, the ser- the, the death of Pee Wee Gaskins. Is, was the major thing that happened on this day. So I saw this article that came out like two, three, well, we're recording this October 1st, but on September 28th, this article I saw came out on Pitchfork where it was a list of the 150 best albums of the 90s. So I was like, how many albums from 1991 are on it and then I assumed that the number one album would be like Nirvana's Nevermind which is a 1991 album but it's not oh it's another number 1991 album that is number one I hope it's not Red Hot Chili Peppers they're not I don't think they're on the list at all okay (laughs) so are you happy (laughs) yeah I was afraid it'd be something stupid. I I know a lot of people like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm not. I mean, I don't hate them. I'm just not like just obsessed. I'm not obsessed. Well, I will say I that I've not found that religion. The first band that I'm gonna talk about, you hate. So <laughs> there's um okay on of the 150 albums, there's 11 from 1991. I'm gonna do like a quick yeah Cliff's Notes because I just went through each. I was I listened to a bunch of songs from each of these albums. So at number 118 is Octoon Baby from U2. I, I, I can't get it. I don't know why. I just <laughs> I can't. This is their 7th studio album. So the, and this was released on November 18th, 1991. This was right after Rattle and Hum. The Major singles that came from this album were Mysterious Ways. That's the only song of theirs I can tolerate. 
Okay, well then, this is ni- their 1991 <laughs> so, album. So that's why it's their best album. <laughs> oh, so now you like it? No. Oh. And then the song One, I don't know if you know that song. I, okay. Yeah, I know the songs, I just don't like any of them. Oh, okay. And then even better than The Real Thing, those are like the three major hits mm. from this album. And um, it, it was topped on the U.S. Billboard 200 albums five of their songs including mysterious ways and one and um even better than the real thing they all topped on the charts and this album sold 18 million copies worldwide and it won a grammy award grammy award in 1993 for some reason Hmm. for best rock performance by a duo or group maybe there's some single that released like yeah i mean this was released at the end of no like this is november of 91 so i don't know yeah they they spread the singles out they spread it out and this is what why i don't understand the music industry especially like 30 40 years ago where where they span out all the singles over like two years and i don't understand it's not like how the oscars is you know Mm -hmm. like the an album that came out like two years ago can be in the Grammys or whatever, like in 2024 or something. I don't even know. I don't know anything anymore about music. Yep. So at number 96 is the album Screamadelica by the band Primal Scream. Do you know who they are? I don't think so. I barely know them either too. So, but I, I've seen this album and I've seen this band before we're not i not like i just seen their name yeah Yeah, i've never seen them live this is their third album they're a scottish rock band and this was released in september of 1991 in the uk but it came into the u.s in october 8th 1991 it was i guess they were in the 80s they were known to do a lot of rock but this album introduced a lot of house and dance music so it's very melodic and like trippy this is the beginning of trip hop because i'm going to talk about another album that is like the true beginning of trip hop but um yeah this is also it was at i guess it, it didn't it wasn't huge here in the u.s but it was huge it was on all these uk album charts lists and it was it's highly prized by a lot of um or praised by a lot of uk critics but i mean this came in it was higher than octune baby mm-hmm. so at number 95 is the album death certificate by ice cube okay that was his second studio album and that was released on october 29th 1991 and this the do you know a lot of his songs from this uh, the two major songs or singles from this album were steady mobbin and true to the game i don't know if you i think recognize. i've heard both but i mean yeah not we'd not have to like actually hear the song to know if you know it true mobbin i'm almost positive i've heard a few okay. times but the other one i'm not super familiar with the, so, the, the solo song that i know most is no vaseline which was not that album yeah and so during this time i mean you know he was in boys in the hood during this time ice cube was working 
alongside with Yo-Yo, um, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. When I was reading about this album, it's like one side is the death side mm. and the other is the life side. So it the two thematic elements of it, the death side is a mirror image of where we are today as of 1991. And the life side is a vision of where we need to go. Mm. So a lot of his songs are... it's pretty much like statements this is like right you know after Rodney King so the a lot of the songs have statements on drug dealing racial profiling and then a right to bear arms and it received critical acclaim and commercial success debuting at number two on the U.S. Billboard charts selling 105,000 copies in its first week and the album was certified platinum by December 1991. The next album on this 150 list, at number 89, I've never heard of this person until today, Um, I'm probably going to say their name wrong, is the album was called Ask the Ages by a jazz guitarist by the name of Sonny Chirac. He was a jazz guitarist like in the 60s and 70s. And this is his final album because he died in 1994, but I will say that he is most known for doing the title track for Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh, interesting. That's one of his songs, but it's not on this album. But this is his final album, and it's all like jazz guitar. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like kind of, when it comes to like jazz music, I'm also kind of ignorant to it. Anything non-lyrical is a huge blind spot in my already blind. I mean, I'll music listen to list. it, but I'm like, it's harder okay, for cool. me to connect if I don't have words to possibly latch onto. I'm just like, okay, this sounds like I I can't pick out like, oh, that's Coltrane. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like I won't. I don't know who did what. I just like it. Sure. <laughs> but I'm not like. It's not like that one skit. <laughs> And I think you should leave. Right, yeah. Like Roy Donk. Type <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not like that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I just thought that was interesting. And I didn't know anything about him until like an hour ago. So, at number 83 is the album Spiderland by Slint. Do you know who they are? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, wow. Okay. Should I? Uh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. So this is their second and final album. I know them because they had a... One of the songs on this album was on the Kids soundtrack. That's how I know about Slint. Okay. And I mean, I was, I've seen Kids. I don't think I had the soundtrack. So. Uh, I was obsessed with the Kids soundtrack. And then their song that's on that soundtrack that's also on this album this album is only six songs but it's like 40 minutes because each song is like over six minutes and they're like up to nine minutes long Hmm. but good morning captain is the song that i know that i was obsessed with because it was on the kids soundtrack but they re-released a deluxe version of this album in 2014 and they added it it was like 20 songs (laughs) 
that was released in March of 1991. And it's always on these top, like, 90s albums in, like, almost any rock list. Interesting. The next album is De La Soul's De La Soul is Dead. That is that was at number 72 this was released on may 13th 1991 and it was the first album to receive a five mic rating in the hip-hop magazine the source i don't know how, how long... old was the source at that time i when did the source come out okay the source came out in 1988 Really? So it took like three years before it gave a perfect score. Yeah, so this is the first album to get a perfect score from the source. Wow. And, yeah, which I think is interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of good rap album albums that came out right. from 88 to 91, including, they, like... They just must have, like, NWA Michelin star type, like, high standards, yeah. you know? So this, their major singles... Are a roller coaster, skating jam, ring ring ring, and Millie pulled a pistol and Santa. <laughs> um, I know the first two songs, and then the song "Oodles of O's" is on the soundtrack for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Four, which I asked if you knew it, and you said no. I said it. Yeah, I didn't. I, but I must have. I must have heard it because <laughs> I played. I played everything on Tony Hawk Four. The next album that is at number 61, and I didn't realize this was 1991, is Massive Attack's Blue Lines. Um, this was released in April of 1991, and this is their debut album. This album is the one that is the first album regarded as coming up with the genre of trip hop which is a blend of hip hop with you know like soul reggae electronic music that's but the song that i recognize on there is unfinished symphony which that song was on the sliver soundtrack which i had that soundtrack too <laughs> because of that song <laughs> and, and then that's how i learned about massive attack and i became a massive attack fan from the movie Sliver. Not from this album because I didn't know them yet. Yeah. Number 33. This like blew my mind. Okay. <laughs> um, Because it's so high up but I'm just like okay. I mean this is Pitchfork so whatever. Um, at number 33 is the album called Laughing Stock by the group Talk Talk. This is their fifth and final album, and their bassist left the group after their last album. I mean, I only know two songs of theirs. Yeah, from like the 80s. Yeah, which is like 1985 or 1984. I don't know anything after that. So, But their bassist left the group, which left two guys, which was their singer and the drummer so they made a jazz based album and this is it hmm. and this is number 33 of the 
best albums of the I I was listening to some of the stuff and I was like okay I mean same thing with like how I we just talked about with jazz I'm just like okay yeah there's there's I don't about, hate like, it music I was theory like, that we okay as, cool yeah that, that we as just uh, you know normal observers just don't get that yeah music critics understand like oh wow look at the construction of this piece like, yeah i don't oh, know okay, like don't music know theory yeah. i mean i took music for like a year in high school because i was in band mm-hmm. but i was playing the clarinet i wasn't like learning about like jazz theory or whatever and okay this is where the top 10 i was like whoa okay so at number 10 is nirvana's never in mind when i saw that i was like okay well then what's number one mm-hmm. <laughs> But, I mean, obviously this is, like, the hugest album to come out in the year of 1991. This was September 24th, 1991. This is Nirvana's first studio album, because they did have Bleach before this. But this is, um, obviously put them on all the rock charts. I mean, Smells Like Teen Spirit was on MTV nonstop. Their other singles were Come As You Are, Lithium, and In Bloom. The album was voted the best album of the year in rock magazines for 1992. And then it topped the single of the year and video of the year polls. The album was gave the band three Grammy nominations. Um, but... This album also became... This is where I get, like, interested. I don't know. I talked about this before, where, like, things become platinum or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But in 1999, it became certified diamond. Like, what's highest? I thought platinum was highest. I think they added... I mean, diamond is what? The highest? Is that the highest now? I don't... They probably have, like, things for... They probably have labels for other things that haven't been hit yet. I know that they just created a okay, label for gold what, like is five hundred thousand. There's some. There's some sort of. Um, a million sort of, is platinum. Diamond but... is ten, I believe. Okay. But I think there's like you know, like a billion views on YouTube is now a like official label. Yeah, they won't something. do this but now because like now. people don't sell albums. It's like downloads now. Yeah, they call it, yeah, it's based off of like number of downloads and but, streams. Yeah, I saw that. So by 1999, they were certified diamond. And number nine, which was also released on the same day as Nirvana's Nevermind, is A Tribe Called Quest, The Low End Theory. That was their second album. And that has a lot of hits. I mean, I, I used to, I play this album a lot sometimes. Their major hit is Check the Rhyme, and then there's Jazz and Scenario. Scenario is probably the first song of theirs I've ever heard. Mm. In February 1992, the album was certified gold, and then by February of 1995, they were certified platinum. Hmm. I mean, the... this album is also ranked number 43 as one of the greatest albums of all time and then in 2022 the album was selected by the library of congress for preservation in the national recording registry so then we're gonna get to the number one album the best album of the 90s according to pitchfork 
and that is My Bloody Valentine's Love List. Do you know who they are in this album? My Bloody Valentine? Had a 1991? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know them as a band, like, at all. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to assume that it'd be, like, well, R.E.M. Like, or Pearl Jam, since they weren't on the Well, number so two funny. was Radiohead's OK Computer. Yeah, but that was in 91. But no, I, I, I think R.E.M. and Pearl Jam had 91 albums, right? So... Maybe they were both 92. Losing My Religion was a 91 single. Maybe I think that came 90. out in 1990. Yeah, that might have been 90 album, I don't... 91 single. Anyway, no, I don't know this at all. Okay, well, this is the number one 90s album, according to Pitchfork. And this is their second studio album. They're an Irish-English rock band. They are also kind of like the beginning or the staple or landmark for the subgenre of the shoegaze genre which is like i don't know that's one of my favorite genres i guess i should i don't know if you know what shoegaze is i don't know i've heard the term i can't i you know it's sort of like with jazz or whatever like i can't really differentiate between the different it's just okay shoegaze is basically like using rock but it's very ethereal and like obscured vocals and guitar distortion the reason why it's called shoegaze is because the guitarists are using their pedals so much so they're always gazing at their shoes but isn't maybe I'm confusing this with a different band? But didn't this group like make it big in like the early two thousands? Or am I thinking of someone completely different? I I knew about them because when I was like maybe twelve, I, I was listening. I know exactly what I'm thinking of. Sorry. Oh, what I'm thinking mean? of My Chemical Romance. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's that's the no. big confusion. In this my is mind. like not. No. So and I don't know that band either, right? So. <laughs> Yeah. They're, okay, my bloody Valentine is not them. Yeah. So I'm like, they're they made my chemical romance made an album in 1991. Like that's I mean, that's where my mind went. My I don't I just know them as an 80. They're like the cure to me. Like I know them as like an 80s 90s band. Okay. I don't know what they did after the 90s. That's why I was like I don't even remember if they did anything in the 2000s. But yeah. I didn't pay attention to them after yeah. like. At high school, which is like late 90s. And I did not know of these people in high school, clearly. But, okay. <laughs> so, okay, they're an English-Irish rock band from the 80s and 90s. This album was released in the UK in November of 91. So it was probably like in the US in 92. So, But I thought this was funny because they were... On the British phonographic industry, they are certified silver. <laughs> I was just like, okay. So, so that was another term. That was another term. With, <laughs> but that was by, uh, yeah. So in 2013, they re-released this album as a two-CD set in 2012. But their main hit that I know of is called Only Shallow. Doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah, so let's quickly go into rankings and ratings then. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put The Rapture? Uh, I'm going to give this movie a two. A two? Interesting. Okay. I feel like maybe I'd talk this movie up more <laughs> so like you didn't get a chance to say why you didn't like it as much. Um, it was 
I mean, I mostly didn't like the acting either, even though I liked Mimi Rogers in it. I didn't really like how the script is. And then I started the last third is where it really just like made my eyes roll. Okay. And that's kind of like where I think I feel like people are making fun of these people, but uh. yeah, I don't know. I didn't I didn't get that impression. Obviously, on my zero to four star scale, I'm gonna say it's a three out of four. I, I think I mean, if if the dialogue were stronger, it would be right up there. I mean, I know that Ebert said it was like his number ten movie of the year. Yeah, what and, else did he put on his list where we were like, what the hell? Man in the Moon. I don't remember. I don't remember now. That might have been one of them. But, like, there is, yeah, like, I, I read the review to kind of, like, because when I'm, like, far off base, I want to understand his perspective. And I, I get his perspective, but really the dialogue just tore me away from all the stuff that he's talking about. Every movie's worth watching once, would you watch this again? When it comes to, like, religious movies and learning about this stuff, no. I mean, I, I feel like as a religious movie, if you can consider it that, it does not beat things over your head in this in the same way that some of the other ones are like actively trying co- to convert the audience um, or preach to the choir, as it were. This, I don't think, does that. But would I watch it again? No, I don't think so. I mean, I got what I needed to out of it. Uh like the only thing that's like visually worth watching again is the opening scene, so I'm good. I, I don't I don't need to see it again. I got I got what it was trying to convey. I'm pretty sure. Uh, if you out there want to watch the Rapture as of this recording in September 2023, I'm sorry, October 2023, it's available on digital rental, VHS or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all three major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991. Movie Rewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going back into the scary. With, <laughs> that's, that's debatable. Child's Play 3. Uh, Peacock. Fubu. Fubo. Digital Rental. VHS. DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.